Running Sentences presents A Judge, a Jury, and a Sheriff Part 1 The Prologue When a man finds out about a situation that involves his kid's sister, he drops everything. He does what he feels is necessary to try and help save the day. Story narrated and written by Michael Honoré This is a work of fiction. Any names, characters, businesses, events, and situations within this story are products of the author's imagination. Any resemblance to real people, real situation, real events, and or fictional events, situations, characters is purely coincidental. This is not meant to be a realistic story. Copyright 2023, Michael Honoré. All rights reserved. Pete lounged in the couch in his living room, staring at the TV, which was flickering images at him. The sound was muted, as a headache and the half-finished bottle of bourbon on the coffee table made loud things not so nice to hear. He was trying to ignore his cell phone, which had been ringing many times lately. Enough so that when it did fall silent for a minute, he got up from the couch and turned the phone to vibrate and then put it back down. It didn't stop making noise as it buzzed its way about the table. Who the hell is calling me? In an attempt, he threw his hand in the direction of the phone without looking at it from his new seated position. He didn't want to get up and it was just... There was too much effort. His effort was rewarded with a smack of his hand into the edge of the coffee table. Ow, damn it! Up he sat with a rather frustrated snarl on his lips as he shook his hand. The thought of kicking the table soon came to him, but without shoes on, he got as far as lifting his foot before stopping to think. The alcohol was still making things fuzzy, but something in the back of his mind told him not to do that. He sighed as he put his foot down and made an effort to grab for his cell phone, only for it to skitter out of reach and then off the table with a crack as it hit the ground. Luck be the lady damned. For a moment, he contemplated lying down and leaving the whole mess for another day. The headache and the flashing pictures were too much right now in this evening hour. He should be elsewhere, but part of his life had died down lately along with what few dreams he had. The phone buzzed again, and with exasperation, he got up and fetched it from the ground. The new spider cracks in the glass of phone barely registered with him, but it did make the phone look... Terrible, he glanced at the screen. Unknown number, and that texting me crap? Jeez, when will places stop with this spam? There's supposed to be a no-call list, not a good that does, though. Curiosity, though, being a bitch, had already nagged him into unlocking his phone and taking a look at least at the messages. One never knew. Maybe someone had accidentally texted the wrong number. Then maybe he'd have an interesting conversation out of it. He shook his head as he began scrolling through these messages. Twenty in total sat on his phone, but the screen was not helping him read it down, since it was flickering out from all the damage that had been done to it. Medical debt? I haven't visited a doctor since my parents made me stupid spam. He was about to put the phone back down when one of the words in the message caught his attention. My, my sister? Wait, is my sister the one in debt? It would make sense, since I can't afford to think about doctors, but uh... 
The phone screen flickered once more, and then completely died out with the damage too much for it to handle. Shit, shit, I need a new phone. I wonder though, when am I gonna get one? Is it too late in the day to bother Caleb? He looked around the house and realized his only clock in the room had actually been on his phone. A glance towards the kitchen likewise gave him no answer, since he had an old microwave set up in his apartment that did not have a clock on it. The stove was also vacant of any clock, and so he looked out the nearby window. Uninterested in actually finding out the time, he just let it go. It was dark out, his somewhat friend was married, and his wife probably hated him, so best not to bother him at this late of an hour. Maybe the phone will work tomorrow. I'll throw it on the charger and figure it out. Can't go around bothering people now, can I? Especially ones I haven't really talked to for a while. I mean, I talk to them, but uh, it's never much for conversations. He sat back down on the couch, but gave up on that too, since the bed wasn't far off from where he was. Plus, his charger was in his bedroom, so with nothing to do and a uh, headache still drilling at his mind, he went for bed. Maybe lying down would solve all of his problems lately. The hard mattress was unpleasant to sit on, but the cold floor was even less welcoming place. It had various things strewn across it, from clothes to what looked to be a dead insect who no longer wanted to live there. He too no longer wanted to be here, but it was what he could afford at the moment, and Pete gathered up the cable to plug into his phone into him give him something to look at instead of his surroundings. It didn't beep in response, and the screen didn't seem to flicker to life, so he put it down, hoping for the best as he stretched out on his bed. At least I will have to get in touch with my sister if she's still talking to me, and I can't remember whether or not we will talk lately. It might be nice to hear her voice, but what, what, what can I do? I can't really do anything to help her. I have my own money problems. Oh well, I guess talking is important too. He turned over, trying to get comfortable on the mattress that provided no comfort. Someone had once told him that such things were good for his back, but that never worked out, and that was the thought he always seemed to drift to sleep to. Never quite comfortable. It was a good rest, though, which was odd for Peter, who awoke early, lost in the idea of the sun just coming up outside his window. He blinked at the sight a few times, trying to recollect his night, and realized what had happened. With a sigh, he got up to tend to his early morning needs, the first of which was the phone, which still did not work. Not able to tell time with his phone, and Pete spent his morning trying to figure out what time it was, all so he could know when to go to work. That resulted in him taking an early bus from one side of town to the other to get there, and to stand around waiting for people to show up since he was too early. He wound up going towards a nearby bench when it was taking too long, and to his relief, Caleb's car pulled up early in the morning, and he watched his somewhat friend get out and come over with raised eyebrows towards him. What brings you here this early? You're always late. Early night after my phone finally quit working on me. Oh, sorry to hear that. I, I thought you hated having one, though. Uh, didn't you... Call it the worst of man's invention, one drunken night. Peter got up from the bench seat near the parking lot, rising nervously. He needed his friend's help, and, well, he hadn't exactly been a good person lately, or ever. The number of times he'd actually done something stupid around Caleb flooded back to him. 
I've said a lot of things while under the influence of drinks, uh, all to help me forget my life. Uh, that's fine, I guess. Um, I think most people have those moments. But none of this explains why you're here early. Well, I was hoping to run into you since uh maybe borrow your phone if I could. Uh, just to slip in my SIM card and see what was happening last night. I, I got a few messages about something. You finally met someone nice again and managed to ruin your phone in some tryst? Peter made a number of expressions cross his face as he tried to sort through how to answer that. Mostly, he looked hurt at the thought of it, though. Uh, no, it's something else. I don't know exactly what yet, but it isn't a new girlfriend or a relationship. His friend nodded reinsuringly and patted him on the shoulder as they decided to head towards the office entrance. Okay, no big deal. I won't pry and I will do you one better than letting you see if your SIM card works on my phone. I have an old one that, that works well. You can have it if you want. Shouldn't be too big of a deal. I, I wouldn't want to impose on you. I, I, I couldn't take a phone off of you. Uh, don't you always get new phones every couple of years? It, it, it's, it wouldn't be too new for me. I, and now I only really need to see the messages on the phone. I don't... Uh, I t I'm not sure about that. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Come on. I have a couple in my office. The company provides phones from time to time. Up three stories, they went to a large, sprawling office of Computext 1888, a company that took the entire third floor and served only to push papers from one company to another. Reality of it, though, was that they sent papers from one side of the office to the other with lots lost along the way. The rows and rows of cubicles looked daunting to find the particular one assigned to any person. They even had a little letter and flags above certain ones to help ease moving about. Caleb, however, had an office along the wall and made an easy beeline right for it, with Peter following. It took but a minute to root out one of the phones that he had and tossed it over along with a cable to charge it. Well, that should do it, right? Yeah, thanks. Off to work with you then. I'll try to keep anything you do with the cell phone on the down low. I don't want the wandering bosses to catch you. Pete nodded as he headed for the door. The safety of this cubicle wasn't much one since the walls were pretty small and one could easily see over them. Add to that the constant patrolling of floor bosses and Peter felt like things weren't going to go his way. His old phone sat on his lap while he was up close to his computer trying to make it look like he was working. He was, but on his phone, not on moving papers around, trying to get the little slot open to get his SIM card out of it. A task that should be easy, but no matter how he pushed, that little divot wouldn't move and the part would not pop open. Is there something going on here? Pete turned his head to the right to see one of the floor bosses. Henry, looking down on him. I work in making sure that the papers are being double-read, sir. Your hands aren't needed for that? No, uh, it, it's reading on a screen. I, I'm not doing anything to it, I'm just making sure it's uh, as it should be. No editing or anything like that, unless I have to. And, and my, my job's all about if I remember the description correctly. 
There was a scowl from the boss, who then turned and headed off. Pete kept glancing over his shoulder to make sure that Henry really was gone off and doing other things, and that no other boss was around, before letting out a long, relieved sigh. Then he set about getting his phone to open up the SIM card slot, pushing the little key to get it open as hard as he could, and was finally rewarded with the feeling of something had popped. Another look around to make sure that he was still alone. Let him bring up his phone to see that the little tray with the SIM card was right there. In a quick, swift move, he dumped it out into his hand and tossed aside the broken phone to get the old but new phone from his friend. This one went a bit easier and allowed him to drop the card in and get the thing booted up after plugging it in. Alas, it still needed to charge a bit more before working, so he left it to do its job while doing his own boring work of reading. Mind-numbing minutes of reading pages upon pages on a computer screen passed him by as he concentrated solely on that. On his assigned break near the afternoon, Pete and his new old phone found themselves in the break room. He was working on making sure it was working, still rather secretively, as he only had a few minutes to relax. Are you up for some lunch? Huh? He jumped at the sound of his friend's voice and looked up instinctively, trying to hide the phone. Lunch, when time comes for it. Oh, yes, Caleb, thank you. Uh, I guess, maybe? So... What was it about this phone that you needed it for? What was uh, getting you all worked up and worried about? You did appear you were getting worked up and worried. I, I, I yeah, I, I couldn't read some messages off of uh, my screen because it was broken last night. The new old phone now had powered up and showed the phone semi-charged and ready to go. Pete's attention went to it as he touched the message app, only for nothing to appear. He quit the program and checked his contacts to find that they, too, were empty. Realizing that none of what he wanted was there, he smacked his forehead into a nearby cabinet. Whoa, what are you doing? What's up? The information isn't there. I, I'll have to wait and see if I, they call again or hope that I remember my sister's phone number. Otherwise, all I have is a vague memory of messages. I should have realized. Sim cards don't transfer memory, do they? Caleb shrugged. He didn't really know or care much about any of that. Um, you, I think, need lunch, and I'm making a higher-up decision that that comes right now. Go back to your desk and get whatever you need to go on lunch break, and come with me. Uh, but it's usually a lunchbox hidden in the back of the refrigerator, uh, so that no one steals it. That's all my lunch is, usually. Actually, I don't think I brought lunch today. Even better, let's go to a local spot. Company treat. Stunned and unsure of what to do, Pete froze up slack-jawed and waiting for something bad to happen. Caleb raised an eyebrow at him and made a hand motion for him to start moving. Up, up, come on. There's no time to waste for lunch. It's right around the corner, and it will consist of good food if the place we're going to can get the order right. It's always a bit of hit or miss with them on that front. I hope you don't have food allergies, by the way. Pete found himself slowly walking towards the exit of, of the break room, but, but lost in his mind as he headed for the exit. The dark interior of Cavern's Bar was a welcome distraction and allowed Pete to hide among the shadows of the booth that they were at. 
Heeding Caleb's warning, he kept things simple and ordered a burger, curious how wrong that might turn out. His friend sat across from him, drinking an actual beer, a liberty he would not have. Okay, I asked you here to give me a rundown on what's going on, since you seem very disturbed about the phone, so out with it. I, I don't think it's, it's a big deal. It's, it's not a big deal. It, you don't have to think about it. It's about your sister and the three of us grew up around one another. And the three of us knew each other pretty well. And we did go to school together at one point. I can't let you say it is worrying you. Then turn around and say it's no big deal. Besides, I happen to have your sister's number. Since we occasionally keep in touch. Tell me what's going on and I will give it to you. Pete tensed up, unsure of what to say or what to do for a second, then let it go with a sigh. He didn't know much about what had happened, so it couldn't hurt to say what he knew out loud. I don't know much at all about what happened. All I got were a bunch of calls and texts about a thing. Tell me what you saw, and the number is yours for your sister. He mulled it for a few more seconds before, sitting up straight and leaning in to talk to his friend. Last night, before I went to bed, my phone began to ring off almost constantly. It was going off for some reason, and I have no idea why. I'm not really sure. I never saw the number before in my life. I was ignoring it, since no one ever calls me. But it got to the point where I was annoyed enough to try and pick it up to see who was calling. You don't know who it was, though? You're who was calling? I went to look, but... Eh. By the time I went to look, I accidentally knocked my phone off my coffee table, dooming it to the death we have. It was still operating enough when I picked it up, but uh, I didn't know the number on it, or I couldn't really make it out. Well, I'm not sure which it was. Anyway, uh, what caught my attention were the text messages. They were saying something about a medical debt, and they also said my sister. That's it? That's all you saw? With an affirmative nod, yes, to Caleb, this friend finally sat back fishing out his own phone to look up the number he needed. Why would they call you and text you about that matter, though? Pete shrugged to this as Caleb finished finding the, the number he needed. I have no idea. Um, maybe they were looking to collect all that debt through any means possible. I only saw snippets of conversation, so I don't know anything yet other than the words sister and medical debt. Caleb nodded and looked off, taking this in and trying to figure it out in his own mind. A fine thing, since Pete was more worried about his sister and his imagination trying to figure out what was going on. He didn't have time for Caleb's interpretation, so he sat there trying to make sense of why his sister might be in this debt. Granted, he hadn't actually paid much attention to her and her life lately. He couldn't even recall when he last called and talked to her. A sudden phone sliding into view made him look down at the table to see the cell phone, and on the screen was his sister's number. It's better call her and see what's up. If you want some privacy, I can leave the booth and let you do what you need to. I'll go outside. Oh, you've already done enough for me. Thank you. There was a nod from his friend as Pete got out the phone lent to him and entered the number into the contacts, which was devoid of any other information, but it was good to have that. With that done, he slid his friend's phone back over and exited the booth. Outside the restaurant, he came to a stop on the sidewalk and stared down at the number on the screen. 
His mind worried and worried that he was going to be calling at an odd time. He hadn't called in a while, also weighed in there, but he didn't weigh that as heavily in his mind. Not because it wasn't important and worrisome, but exactly because of that. Nervousness racked him as he walked back and forth, unable to hit the call button. It was really simple, yet the fear of answers was enough to make him worried. His finger eventually tapped down on the screen button and hurriedly put the phone to his ear, listening to the ring. A few seconds went by before a voice came through. Hi. Hi, Susie. Uh, it's your brother, uh, who you haven't talked to in ages. Is it now? Uh, why are you calling me up? It isn't about being lent some money. Is it? I don't trust you around money, brother. The haggard sound of her voice sent a bolt of worry through him. It sounded so far away from what he remembered, and like she'd spent more time smoking than doing anything else. He couldn't remember if she'd ever smoked before, so this was definitely a new thing and worrying thing. No, 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 I, I was not trying to get money. I, w I was calling to check up on you, in fact. Why would you be doing that? Uh, it's going to sound a bit odd, sister, but uh, I got a lot of calls yesterday, and they were related to you, potentially. They, they said you had some medical debt. Why were those buggers calling you? I just got nothing to do with you. <coughs> I, 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 why? Why would they call you? Eh, hey, what, what, what are you talking about, Susie? There was the sound of Susie's rough, gravelly voice and admission that there was a problem that caught him off guard. He was not expecting any of this. It shouldn't concern you. I'll call the place and tell them to knock it off right away. I'm sorry they bothered you. At least explain what's happening for me, please, Susie. Let me know what's going on. Oh, I just had a hospital visit that lasted a couple of days. Because of that, I lost my job. And I went into debt and had to go to court as a collection agency came for their money. And I couldn't pay. Needless to say, now that I'm working again, at two jobs, to pay them back, the court ruled that I had to increase my payments. It's just, it's a mess. And I'm getting through it and I'm doing my best to pay my fair share that's owed. Peter stood there sort of dumbstruck by the whole situation and trying to think of something to say. What the fuck? Yeah, it is a bit fucked up. Uh, it is fucked. I think there's a crop of people running things here right now. I don't think I can escape because I, I don't really have no money to escape it. And because the collections keep coming through the corridors, round and round I go, and I think several other people as well. The court I went to was chock full of people. They were all having to deal with collections. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, sis. I, I wish I'd known. Well, who was doing this to you? The, the collection agency? There was some soft coughing from his sister as he waited for her to respond to anything he was saying. Don't worry about it. There's nothing you could have helped me out. You have your own money problems. I didn't think to talk to you about them, and, you know, I always knew you were no good with money. There's nothing to worry about, you brat. Yeah, I mean, you are older than me, but you are still a bigger brat than I ever was. And as for what's happening, it's from what I can tell and from the rumors around town, there's a judge, and there's a collection agency, and it feels like uh, they are in league together, rigging the area to drive money. It is just rumors, and I don't really know anything else. 
I wish I could do some for you. What you can do is hang up the phone unless you have a couple hundred thousand dollars lying around since we last talked. But I doubt it. He tried to say something else, but his words failed him at this moment and he couldn't really think of anything to say. Got nothing? Didn't expect so. Live your life. Don't you worry about me. I'll get through this one way or another. And don't be such a stranger. Maybe come visit sometime once you, you do figure out how money works. Though he wanted to say more, he still couldn't find the words to say. And before he could find them, she hung up the phone. With a sigh, he too ended the call and looked about himself. The day suddenly felt cold and he shivered, making his way back into the restaurant. A few seconds later, he was sliding back into the booth across from Caleb, lost in thought, and trying his best to let it all settle into his mind. His friend caught the look on his face. I know it has been a while since I last called your sister, but it doesn't look good judging from your face. Is everything okay? She's got some uh, medical debt and uh, it's, it's something to do with uh, hospital bills and uh, now a collection agency after her. What are you talking about? That's basically what you told me at the beginning of this, so please, please explain a bit more. And doing his best, Pete told the story as told to him, but he knew he was forgetting some details here and there, since he didn't really get everything. When he'd finished, their meal was placed before them. One was a steak that Caleb had ordered. The other was fried chicken sandwich with hot honey. Not the ordered burger, but still good food. He hated not wanting to make much of a fuss with his mind, so busy with other matters. The meal was completed in silence, and they returned to work, thinking their own respective ways. Work would come and go as he concentrated solely on that for the rest of the day. It all slipped into a melancholy of noise and nothingness, zipping past him before he knew it or could pay attention to what was going on. When shutdown time came, he'd somehow gotten through all of his work, which was the first time in a long time that he didn't have to pull overtime to finish it all up. He and the other lucky ones got to go home. Pete soon made his way back to his apartment house complex. He was not the least bit sure how that had happened since he was not paying the least bit of attention to anything, but he knew he was back when his butt hit the couch. It wasn't the nicest couch, but it was a comfortable one that knew his body. He stared at his new phone in his hand to see if it would make any noise, and if a conversation might be started up, or maybe some more information would come from that weird person who was texting him all of this information. But so far, nothing, and the hope that the person who had done that before, doing it now, was fading. Come on, I need some understanding of this. I don't think it was a collection company sending me messages. Now what was somebody else? Some person? His phone buzzed and jumped in his hand, which made it hard to keep a hold of from the surprise of something happening to it. To his disappointment, it was only a message from Caleb. Everything okay with you? He texted back quickly that he was okay, and then put the phone down so as not to stare at the screen all night. He wasn't tired, but he wanted to shut his eyes in sleep. The phone buzzed again, and at first he didn't look at it, but it kept buzzing. 
His heart rate increased as he looked over the phone, but dared not look at the potential messages on the screen. A few seconds later, it all stopped, and he nervously reached out for the phone. In a swipe, he was at the security screen, entering the appropriate info to get him to the home screen, and then into the message app. Ten messages were there. Your sister is in great danger. Please respond if you read these messages. Read all of them. Peter carefully read all the messages before him, each detailing how his sister was in debt, thanks to a judge in a hospital. He read over them and went over them again before he decided to respond. Who is this? The message was instantly responded to with the words, A concerned person familiar with things. He typed in a quick reply. Why are you telling me this? I can't do anything to help this person you're telling me about. Where even is this place and what are, why, why are you talking to me of all people? More than a few minutes went past before a new message came. It simply said, buy you. Peter made a face at this news since he wasn't sure what to make of it. There was also no further messages after that, despite his hope for further explanation. He gave up a short time later, too tired of the thing, and his mind trying to make sense of it. He knew Bayou. He'd grown up in Bayou, but he did not want to think about Bayou. Since he couldn't figure anything further out, he decided it all made his head hurt and that sleep was a better thing. Two weeks went by as Peter slowly gathered up information he felt he needed. More messages had come in directing him towards looking up stuff and finding out exactly what was going on. He responded to the messages, but the sender never responded to him. The stuff he'd seen was enough to set a plan in motion in his mind, one slightly suggested by the sender of those messages. This left him with a cross-country trip towards a town called Bayou, which was a collection of a swamp area, unincorporated into any town, but sort of a town in and of itself. He was soon driving towards it. The road ahead of him kept slipping by as he drove towards this town. The only thing keeping him company in the car was a radio and a suitcase next to him that he'd sloppily packed up. Four further days of travel put him at the city limits of Sentinel City, which was close to this bayou that he needed to get to. It was already evening and he felt himself tensing as he passed by the Welcome to Town sign. He knew he needed to sleep and went for the closest cheap place he could find. One more day wasted, but in the end it would be worth it. He may be a shitty brother, and he had his struggles, but confronting these fucks was the least he could do for his little sister. Morning came, and Peter was in the parking lot of the motel he'd spent the night at. His night had been a rather listless one, and all over the place. Now, though, he couldn't fight back the energy that was surging through him. Calm down, Pete. This is all straightforward. I just have to find the place, and I'm home free. Oh, she is home free. His phone buzzed with a message from this mysterious person. A glance at him gave him directions he needed to go to. The swampy bayou itself, with a set of sort of coordinates leading to somewhere. Was it an important house or something else? A shaky feeling of a trap came to him, but he pushed that aside. He was doing good. This was all that mattered. That was all that mattered. With another few deep breaths, and 
No calmness amongst that. He made his way to his car, trembling and shaking as he clambered into it. The drive out to the swamp was hot and muggy affair, which was only relieved when rolling down the windows. The AC had conked out when he got the car going, and out onto the highway. He kept the pedal down and found his way to the limits of this incorporated area, and then off to the main highway, to a small road that got dark rather quickly, with the trees closing in around him. The directions he was given by messages on his phone led him all the way to a parking lot, to a place that looked run down. It was a simple shack with a few boats out in front of it, but little else. A man stood out front and looked at him as his car pulled up. Pete got out and dusted himself off and looked about. You the man that got a boat rented for him by a stranger? I guess... A set of keys were thrown to him, and he caught them, but fumbled a bit to keep them in his hands. Well, it is said you know what you do, so you go have your fun. I want the boat back before nightfall, though. The owner of this little area went back to his shack, throwing open the door and disappearing inside. It slammed shut after him, though, as it didn't seem to want to stay open. Pete decided to ignore all of this as he looked at the key in his hand. A tag on the keychain had a faint two written on it. A glance at the boats brought no answers, and he had to get over towards the little moored planks that made up the dock to see further. A minute of going up and down the creaky wood gave him an answer that two was the second to last one on his right. He would go grab his suitcase from the car and then drop it into this vessel as he found it was in an okay shape and went over the controls to the airboat and how it might work. Then, making sure that everything was secure and that his suitcase was tucked into a spot where it couldn't escape from, he began to start getting the boat ready to go. He wasn't the least bit familiar with it, but he got it started and began puttering out of this area. The deafening whirr of the fan was all that kept him company as he slid his way across the water. Pete's phone was in front of him as he held onto it tightly as he watched the coordinates tick towards where he needed to go. The setting sun flashed its brilliant orange over the area, and he found a few torches began appearing around him, and he started following them, since they seemed to point out towards some direction, and the coordinates on his phone agreed that that was the right way to go. So he soon put his phone away, as a house up on stilts appeared before him. It was ringed by torches, and the noise of the boat attracted a few people to the side to see who was there. This group up on the deck that rang the house all looked to have some form of weapon in their hands and were taking aim at him. Pete reached down towards the suitcase as the boot approached the waterside dock and came to a bumping stop against it. He opened his case to reveal three pistols and plenty of clips which he stuffed into his pants and anywhere that they would stay. Who are you and what are you doing at Judge de Percy's home? Pete scrambled out of the boat, onto the floating dock, not bothering to answer as he made his way towards a staircase to go up. I asked you a question. I'll shoot you and I'll throw you into the, to the creatures in the bayou if you don't answer me. The sound of guns having their charging handles slid back when let go of reached him. He too slid the action on the pistol that he had in his hand, but he tried to hide the motion of this going on. 
The guard speaking to him was atop the staircase at which he was now going up and the rifle was pointed down towards him. What do you want here? I'm here to see the judge. About what? Unpaid debts, sir. Judge don't see anybody about those. Instead of responding, slid the pistol to make sure he was aiming it at the man's chest and pulled the trigger twice. The bangs were loud and knocked his senses about, along with the bright flashes blinding him. He did his best to duck down after that, but everything now seemed to be a flurry of action as the guard in front of him crumpled to the ground. There were now several other gunshots going on as things began to whiz around him. Not that he could hear them, but things were going around him and he was aware of that. What is going on? What's all this shooting? There's an intruder who taught Derek. Where? We're shooting up the area now. Having regained some of his senses and able to hear some of this, Pete peeked around the corner of the solid fence that marked the stairs from the deck and circled around the deck to the first floor. His eyes saw the one shouting orders to shoot towards him up on the second floor deck. He was not a good shot, which is why he got close to the first one. Now that wasn't the time to be afraid, and he took aim, letting another two shots go. The effort to aim was there, but it wasn't good, and he was more interested in scaring the man off than actually hitting him. This guard instinctively ducked away as the shots came towards him, and it was unclear if he'd actually gotten close to hitting him. Bullets from another gun made an impact and chewed at the area around him, making him feel unsafe. I don't care about any USR from Judge Percy. Leave it, I won't have to shoot you. The sound of rat-a-tat-tat of guns firing repeatedly drowned out his voice and left him no choice. Out of cover, he came, trying to shoot towards where he figured this gunshot noise was coming from. The first problem arose instantly when he realized his balance was off, thanks to the close gunshots that he had fired. His steps staggered about as he tried to come about onto the deck, looking for anyone. There was a flurry of flashing guns, and there should be some noise, but all had gone quiet for him as he felt something tug at his right leg. But whatever it was, he didn't pay attention to it. Through these flashes of light, he saw someone and merely fired towards it. His brain had shut off from what was going on, and he just looked to see if he could find a person. A figure would appear somewhere, and he would turn to shoot at that. There were a few ducks and dives when he saw flashes of light make their way towards him. He would hide behind whatever he could find out here, but he didn't stay out here very long. Peter entered the house as he found the door to it, spilling him into a living room of this place. A space that was already being destroyed as the guards tried to shoot at him. The sound, and now sight, lessened from having walls between him and the guards. These guards weren't coming in, so he ducked down to hide near a table, which he flipped onto his side. His hearing was now slightly returning, but things were still off. Do not destroy my home. Be careful where you shoot. Where is this intruder anyway? A guard came through the doorway as Peter peeked around. He spotted him before he'd gone far and shot at him. In a crumpled heap, the guard fell to the floor and Peter decided not to stay where he was. He knew he'd shot at least four or five of these guards, and he'd shot at them, but whether he'd hit them all, he wasn't sure, and so 
not wanting to risk sticking around, he headed for a nearby staircase as he was pretty sure he had heard the judge's voice coming from up there. He was not about to wait to see if any other guards appeared. Upon getting up the stairs, Peter locked eyes with the judge, who swelled to see who was there and coming up the stairs with a thump, thump, thump of steps. They both stopped and stared for a moment, but it was only a moment as Peter raised his gun towards the man. Who are you? An average person. He fired as the judge flinched and tried to run, but a bullet found its target, hitting the man in the abdomen. There was a stumble, but the judge managed to keep his feet under him and moving. All you getting rich off of all of this is, is that why you're in league with the damned hospital? I have no idea what you're talking about. Ah, you don't live here in this area, and I know all the people that have come before my court. That's the only way you would know about what's going on. Who are you? Average person, as I said, judge. Here to settle some debts that are owed. Any debt must stay even if you kill me. A judge's rulings must stand in no state government is going to undermine their judge, especially if it throws the entire system out of order. The paperwork can disappear though, and that is the key to my saving all of this. The judge shook his head and dashed into a nearby room. In a rush, they were both in the judge's office, with the Percy at his desk fishing about for something by the time Peter got in. The judge came up with a pistol aimed at Peter, and they both fired. After a pause of a second, the judge fell backwards and out of sight. A wave of relief came over Peter, followed by pain as he looked down on himself. He'd been hit at least four times in his chest and stomach, and at least once in his leg. He grimaced at all of that. There was still stuff to do and no time for these wounds. With some strength, he made his way towards a nearby filing cabinet, throwing open drawer after drawer, searching through these files, making them bloody, and just generally trying to wreck everything. All so he could find the one with his sister's name on it. He got it out when he came across it and glanced through it, seeing all the debt and medical bills. There was also the agreements between the hospital debt collection agency and the judge about what was owed. He made it about a few steps away from the cabinet before everything finally caught up to him. It felt heavy. Everything felt heavy. And he toppled over towards a nearby chair. The flash of blues and reds bouncing around the bayou as the boat-carrying Sheriff Wilden pulled up alongside the dock to the judge's home. The airboat bumped twice into the dock as he jumped onto it with another officer who had his gun drawn. Stay behind me, Sheriff. I don't want you to get shot. The reports said many gunshots were heard out here. No one is going to shoot at us. But if you feel the need to, do declare yourself as police and that we are coming in. Police, everybody freeze. There was no response from anyone inside. More officers arrived and began coming through the home, looking for signs of life. All that was in there, however, was a few dead guards and some people. The sheriff made his way up to the office to start the sight of the dead judge and the dead stranger in the chair. Why would anyone kill the judge, sir? His subordinate's voice made Wilton roll his eyes. There was always more than enough reason for things to happen. And as corrupt as this judge was, according to the rumors, it didn't take much to put two and two together. 
Probably has to do with the file on Stranger's hands. Get that and we'll get some answers. Oh, sir. What is it now? He turned to see another officer come into the office holding up a radio. Oh, the state cops are on their way and they called up the line to the government agencies who might have some interest in this situation. Reports about a case or something. Wilton felt his lips curl. Of course, there was some investigation into the matters by the big cops, the government agents. A corrupt judge was always going to draw a hell of a lot of attention when he did what he did out in the open. All right, Gray, the files you can and make a run for the boat. Ah, sir. A few more officers were in and out and grabbing up handfuls of files, but Wilton was already headed for the door. He left the house, making sure not to look too much around at the matters as he made his way back to the dock. Once aboard his airboat, with its giant propeller on the back, he looked over as flames jumped at the wooden structure of a house. Officer Carter came over and dumped a pile of papers into the bottom of the boat and jumped in. The engine was soon started, and with a kick from Wilton, they were drifting away from the now-burning house. Forgive me, sir, but why did it need to catch fire? I ought to save face and make sure that everyone looks good in the end. It gets rather messy when an investigations are ongoing and make us look bad. Don't worry about this, it's more or less a tidying up operation for us. We just gotta make sure everything links together so that those agencies that are big up on the government know that we have already got this done. We were on this case before the, those letter agencies knew the letters of the alphabet, so they'll have to bow down to us for once. Carter looked at him dubiously, but shrugged. He took to steering them away from the fire, since out on the bayou, there was no good way of putting a fire out without pumps. The sheriff glanced about, then made sure it was nice and dark, as they got further and further away, so that any action he did would not be noticed. Life was already complicated enough as it was as he reached into his pocket and brought something out, and without looking, dropped it gently over the side. Officer Carter, things are about to change for our little town. I hope you're ready for it. Because the judge died, sir? Yes, now there's about to be a terrible power vacuum, and other police units are going to come look at everything we do. Keep your head up and be ready for anything. End of part one of A Judge, a Jury, and a Sheriff. Thank you for listening.